point every great beer is an even better story. Welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews. Back in episode one, a fresh-faced young brewer named Will joined me to launch what will one day, I'm sure, become an award-winning podcast. Fast forward almost 50 episodes and he isn't as fresh-faced anymore as he's been working his ass off lately at his farmhouse brewery on the outskirts of Launceston in Tasmania's north. But the hard work has paid off as Will recently celebrated 10 years of Van Diemen Brewing. This year he's released a supersized version of his stout, the Giblin X, a barrel-aged stout rocking in at 10-ish percent, which has been very well received. But better than that, Will's dreams of producing beers completely off the land surrounding his farm has finally come true. In the last 18 months or so, he has shared Max, Edward and Oscar with the beer world, three beers brewed with all estate-grown ingredients, including a strain of yeast cultivated from Will's belly button. Okay, that's rubbish, but the Everton yeast is indigenous to his farm. But not wanting to stop there, he has now gone next level and created a new beer category, Australian Spontaneous Ales, and he's released Australia's first two beers in that category, The Long Shadows and The Unpredictable Spring. These beers are fermented in cool ships, not your everyday method of fermentation. This episode is for the brewing nerds who want to know more about what this trailblazer is doing with funky yeasts and quirky fermentation methods. So welcome back to the Beer Healer Interviews, my first return guest, Will Tatchell. Is that the longest intro you've ever done on one of these? Oh, mate, I need a bit of a breather after that long intro. Can you just take over for a second and tell everyone how long you've been dreaming of this day of creating your own beer category? <laughs> uh, listeners, please understand that this is a little running joke between Chris <laughs> and I. Um, why did we call them? Why did we call them Australian spontaneous sales? Because that's essentially what they are. I mean, we're not going to call them lambic beers because yeah. uh, one out of respect of it, and two, we're not producing them in that region. So we yeah, okay. we had a bit of a think about it, and, and um, Australian spontaneous sales are exactly what they are. They they say what they are. They and we we live true to to what that is. Yeah, and that's been kind of a big thing lately, hasn't it? With the uh, the whole argument about the cheese and not being able to call it the same as the the traditional regions where the uh, the cheeses come from. In the oh, well, that's the thing. I mean, we're, whilst we're heavily influenced by. Um, what's happened in the past, but we we pay attention um, and give respect to that history. Where we're looking to do something inherently different, and yeah. that is produced here in in Tassie or in Australia. So we, we can't um, we can't we can't certainly can't leverage lambic or or those yeah. Belgian styles because they've been around for hundreds of years. It's it's what we're doing now is learning from what they've done and, and respecting that history and paying homage to it, but in our own unique and individual way. Yeah, fair enough. Now, look, we spoke last time about the planning and work that you put in into the farm to make these estate hours a reality. So, look, if people haven't heard your backstory, stop and then uh, go back and listen to episode one and then come back here to this one because we've got a hell of a lot to speak about in terms of these new Australian spontaneous sales. Now, mate, your two most recent beers come from your Wilderness Project release. It's The Long Shadows and The Unpredictable Spring. Yep. Now, I don't want to gloss over the way you make these beers as I really want to do them justice. So, mate, why don't you just describe the process of how these uh, beers came to life? Uh, well, I suppose first and foremost, it's the desire to do them in the um – the want to do them is that it's exciting. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's as brewers, as brewers, we have a lot of control over sort of commercial styles and things. We can we yeah. can manipulate and manage and 
and really utilize the ingredients and processes and tools that we have at our disposal. And, and we make some fantastic beers out of those generally in the industry. But once we head into this spontaneous category or wild fermentation and things, we essentially lose control out of it. So yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I know for us after 10 years in the, in the business and stuff, and we sort of probably started to focus on these beers over the last four or five years. It's probably a bit of a sign that we're confident in our technique and our understanding of of the fermentation and the and the processes that we're doing, and we're almost we're willing to forfeit control of arguably the most vital vital parts of the process. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because, like, you really have to know what you're doing with these beers because you are leaving a little bit to chance in terms of the the nature and that sort of thing. So you can't just sort of have a crack at this thing and just produce some kind of beer in the hope that it's going to turn out awesome because it doesn't really quite work that way, does it? No, you don't. And and that's where I say that we're confident. Well, I'm relatively confident in our techniques and processes and understanding of the fermentation characters, whether it be um, the indigenous yeast, which we are continually still learning about and we always will be, Um, barrel aging, um, bottle conditioning, how all of those bits and pieces put together and, and the jigsaw puzzle created around it. I mean, it takes a bit of dedication to start up a spontaneous program at any brewery. Oh, absolutely. And, um, sort of we're in this, we're, we're in this um, brewing industry at the moment where a lot of breweries releasing multiple beers every week and, and um, yeah, yeah. people are demanding that and stuff. Spontaneous fermentation is at the opposite end of that. <laughs> yeah. um, but the results of it, the results of it can be, superb and, and um, really rewarding, both from a, a drinker point of view and, and me as a brewer. And so obviously you've got your other three estate, Ailes, Max, Edward and Oscar. Is the Wilderness Project sort of an extension of that and still running with that estate, Ailes kind of ideas like the others? Yep, yep. All of these spontaneous beers are, um, are 100% uh, farm-grown ingredients. So oh, okay. all, the, all yep. the malts, um, all the grain and malt are grown and processed here. Um, we're obviously using the indigenous yeast, all the waters from springs. Yep. And then the hops, we've been aging some of our estate hops for, uh, what are we, we're up to five years now. We've had some of them sitting around getting all cheesy and, and old and oxidized and stuff for, for these uh, for these specific purposes. What, why would you be using oxidized hops? I thought that was always usually a bad thing. Uh, you don't want too much alpha acid pickup in them. So these beers are inherently low, low in alphas and stuff. But yeah. what you do want, you do want the natural preservative natures nature of, of uh, these hops to okay, yep. um, sort of control some of that fermentation. And it's one of the elements that we can utilize um, our ingredients for is to is to tepper or just control some of the, the wild yeast that we can get in there and either slow them down or inhibit them or, or, or bring out some better characters in them. And so one now just for the beer nerds, let's just dive into the detail a little bit about how you actually make these beers from sort of start to finish. Well, I suppose that the um, the two aspects of production of these beers that, that make them unique today is um, is first and foremost a spontaneous component of it. So yeah. we, we brew the beer as per normal or normal-ish. We, we do a turbid mash and then we're boiling for about three hours, if not longer. Oh, okay. Um, but then rather than pitching a, a carefully managed yeast strain into it, um, we're leaving the wort open and exposed to the air uh, in, a, in a room that we have the cool ship in and then we invite um, a direct uh, blow of <laughs> external invite. air from around the brewery. Yeah. via a fan that, that sucks in ambient air outside. And um, during this process, in the large, shallow, cool ship, we get uh, we get yeast and bacteria and, and goodies and baddies land on top of it. And over the course of, of, a, of a 12 to 18-hour period, the beer cools down, those yeasts all set on it, 
Um, And then from there, the the second part of fermentation occurs where we transfer it over to barrels and let those yeasties and and bacteria do their job. Um, And then it's up to us to then monitor that, manage it uh, if we need to, um, top the barrels up, keep them hydrated, um, make sure there are no leaks and things. And then it all comes back together with um, with the blending component. And there we're just trying to bring old and new beers, combining them, um, giving character and depth and complexity and bits of elements of each uh, barrel that they all have their own unique personalities and things. So we just try to, to marry them up to, to best we think fit and, and produce, uh, produce what we've done. Yeah, so how does it actually work? Um, is it just you trusting your own palate with these beers or do you kind of have a few mates that you can call upon to help you uh, sample them? Uh, it was with Stu from Ocho when he was working with us. Oh, so yeah, yep. that's these, the first three that we'll release from the Wilderness Project um, have been blended with him. But then, yep. well, depending on what happens with brewers and, and things, it'll be me for the for the next immediate future. And um, de- yeah, depending on what happens, we'll, we'll see who may potentially step into the fold. Is there a bit of a risk now that just you're doing it all on your own? It is risky having just me potentially doing it, but at the same time, um, it's also the reward that you get with um, with blending something potentially yourself. What I like is different to what you like, which is different to what someone else likes. So hopefully we find something for everyone. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. In the words of Transvision Vamp, I don't want your money, honey. I want your love. I'm not going to ask for a Patreon donation because that's not really why I do this. I just want you to help me spread the craft beer gospel. Whichever podcast service you use, if you like my interviews, please like, subscribe, follow, rate and share my podcast with your friends. It all helps to spread the craft beer message throughout the community and in turn hopefully can help those of you out there who make a living working in the industry. That's all. I'll let you get back to the podcast. And so you mentioned before the fact that you you brew these beers and then you put them into these cool ship things and let you know nature do its work and all of that. Um, can you just explain for everybody like what actually does a cool ship look like and what sort of dimensions are they? Oh, obviously, like any bit of brewing equipment, they vary for for individual breweries. Traditionally, they're they're large, shallow copper vessels that uh, that allow the cooling of the beer to occur overnight. Ours is an old modified dairy fermenter. Oh yeah, cool. um, a twenty two hundred liter fermenter that we've put it, that we've put into an isolated room so that we can segregate the the wild aspect of these beers um, uh, yes. from our yep. from our clean end um, beers, and that's in an insulated room so we can control temperature in there. We use it as a fourth fermenter um, sometimes for overflow. But I think we're probably starting to risk a little bit too much in there to the point where I was only looking last night. We'll probably end up lining uh, the room at the moment with, uh, with timber so that we can start to house some of our indigenous yeasts oh, yeah, in cool, there cool. even further, as, as has been traditionally done. Yep. Um, in the, the cool ships often sit in the, um, the rafters of, of breweries and stuff amongst timber beams and things so that the yeasts tend to take up there and, and that's where house, house yeasts tend to stick around. Nice. Okay, so how does this all work? I know I noticed on, on the bottles of the uh, Unpredictable and the Long Shadows that you've mixed certain blends of different barrels to create a different taste profile in, in either kind of beer. Is blending and the amount that you blend in each of those beers like the real key to creating an amazing beer at the end? And how have you sort of done that? Uh, so there's the three that we've done. So there's Unpredictable Spring, Long Shadows, and then there's one that's just sitting in conditioning 
um, bottle conditioning at the moment called Eagle Tree, um, and each of them was each of them was designed to bring out a specific um, character in it. So, okay. unpredictable spring is arguably the most approachable. It's the cleanest, yep, absolutely. Um, uh, it is the most approachable. Um, it has the the largest portion of younger beer. So I think about sixty oh, percent okay. of that is is one year spontaneous yep. beer. So it's still quite still quite young. Most of it, Long Shadows. Um, a majority of that character is a is a Brett driven character. Oh, so is that what around fifty percent of that is a, is a second year spontaneous yep. barrel. That, a bit more in it. Um, it was heavily um, Brett influenced. Yeah. Um, and then Eagle Tree is um, probably more on the acidic end, but a bit more complex. Okay. Um, a bit probably a little bit more sweetness, oakiness happening in there. So each of them have their nuances, um, but they're all blends of four. Um, batches of spontaneous right. beer from yeah, okay. one, two, and three years ago. Sounds pretty difficult to manage what's going on and what what ages and what to blend with what and all that sort of thing. Really? Uh, no, not really. They're all okay. They're all grouped together. Um, it's just a case of monitoring those and and picking up whether or not um, there's a leak on any of them that we need to fix or, or the nuances that's occurring in each barrel. As I said, each barrel has its own personality and individuality, and it, some of them mature quicker than others, and it's a just a case of picking up when things are changing dramatically or if things aren't happening at all or whatever it might be, the the occurrences that happen. So it, it really does, as much as we do a batch, um, each batch relatively similarly, um, it is dependent upon what yeast and bacteria drop onto the, the beer overnight and yeah, then okay. which individual barrel they go into and, and how that develops. With all of that stuff being taken out of your hands, it almost feels like this could be a, a pretty risky sort of project for a small brewery to, to take on, I suppose. Yeah, it can, but that's that's why it's so exciting. Um, you can't play with you can't you can't say with one hundred percent certainty that um, that these things are going to be the same, or, yeah, or that okay. we're trying to do that. There's um, clear path to perfection, and um, it's just it's something with these beers that once your glass leaves your leaves your lips after having a sip lower it back down to the table, you're already sort of lifting it back up for clarification yeah. and asking yourself questions like, what yeah, am I drinking? Absolutely. What, what's the flavor? What, what? Where can I get more? What? What is that ingredient that I'm smelling or tasting and things? So the flavor spectrum of spontaneously fermented beer is is nothing like your, your regular IPAs or, or grocery store piles or whatever it might be. Yeah, I know having drunk these beers, there's a hell of a lot more complexity in them. I'd hate to say it, but they're sort of almost verging into you know wine country and wine tastes and descriptions of, of how you might describe a wine. So it's probably not as traditional, but um, it's sort of a bit of a leap of faith really, isn't it, With uh, in terms of these tastes? Yeah, it is. It's the, Again, this it comes back to that, it's that fun, um, exciting element that we're yeah. – that we we're losing a bit of control, and we're yep. we're handing it over to these microbes and um, ingredients and aging process that um, that has been done for hundreds of years prior. Yeah. But it's 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 um, we're still learning and we're still doing it, and that's what keeps me ticking through. Um, is that ability to continue to learn. Yeah. And, and another cool thing I love about these beers is the fact that you can create this beer this year and do the same process as you might do next year, but there's so many factors that can make those beers just be completely different based on, on the surroundings around you. Uh, pretty much. So that's that's one of the most exciting things about making them is that you um, you get one shot at it. Now, we can try our best. We, we obviously take um, fairly detailed records about yeah. uh, what we do and how we do it and things, but there is absolutely zero guarantee that we're able to 
to recreate them. So they they are reflective of a of a time and place and a, and a yep. particular season, especially from the aspect that we're producing ingredients from the farm seasonally and things. So if we have a dry season or a, or a wet season in the barley or a hot season in the hops or something that they're um, going to impact the flavours and characters and, and end result of these beers. But um, that's something that we wear with, with almost a, a little badge of honour that um, yeah, okay. that we are expressing these um, nuances and seasonal um, changes. So you are pretty much Tassie's answer to Cantillon. Aren't you? Uh, no. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, who inspired you to follow this path? I know you're pretty interested in what Jester King are up to. Were, were those guys maybe sort of part of the inspiration for you? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Those guys are, um, are definitely doing things that um, that spark me on a daily basis and things. It's, I, it's, it's hard to pinpoint whether there was an epiphany moment or, or yeah. something that set me on the path. I think more than anything, it's it's more the um, the farm aspect of it and yep. the fact that we've started to focus on these farm-grown ingredients and then um, the logical step in my eyes was to continue down this route of um, spontaneous beers that um, that obviously leverage the, the local environment and provide that context for a certain time and place and, yep. and a particular season and they're expressive of where they're produced and you've been to the brewery. It's a, it's a wonderful place oh, to work and, so a, and a very apt setting for these beers. So it's um, to to express the, the setting and the farm amongst 100-year-old oak trees in a liquid form is um, is really rewarding. Yeah, that's what I don't get it. All this stuff that you are doing and, uh, you know, still no one knows anything about what you're doing. But, uh, you know, I guess uh, Topher up at Wildflower is doing something pretty similar to what you're up to and yet uh, he seems to have everybody knowing about what he's doing. He's a rock star. Uh, he's the Michael J. Fox of the brewing world at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you could probably argue that I'm probably Doc Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Well, you're both doing great stuff, and I know you guys are friends. Do you sort of, uh, you know, compare notes every now and then on what's going on? Uh, yeah, no, we do. We'd we'd have a chat fairly regularly about oh, whether it be a process or a, a particular fruit or a beer that either of us have sent each other and enjoyed. Or um, nice. yeah, I've, I really I value Tosh's opinion and yep. Um, obviously, his um, ability to to churn out some quality beers is. Um, Pretty bloody impressive. So it's um it's nice to have him on um speed dial to <laughs> to drop anything by him and um yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm mean, look he's doing amazing stuff up there and I've you know, I am I am joking when I say, you know, he's he's the darling of the industry and stuff, but I just don't quite understand why you can do something so similar and everybody raves about how awesome his beers are, and they are awesome, and yet down here you're doing something that is just so exciting. And people just don't seem to know anything about it. And I just kind of feel a little bit in some ways that it's unfair that people don't realise that you're creating these bloody amazing beers. Um, we need to tell the Australian drinking public all about it. Uh, it'll come. It'll come. It's like um, it's, it's like anything. You've got to have early adopters. You've got to have people going forth and, and setting the path. And um, whilst I'm certainly not claiming to be one of those, because as I said, there's there's hundreds of years of history behind what's occurred. When we're certainly not reinventing the wheel or or anything, it's um we're, we're simply doing something that that has been done previously, and but it's just that we're doing it in our pocket. And there'll be others that follow us, and there'll be others that produce better beers than us, and there'll be something else that continues after this. But yeah, I think enough. more than anything, the sort of sour. Oh, I hate that term. I yeah, can't stand sour beer. It's 
wild beer or spontaneous beer for me. Um, yep. it's, um, there are nuances in it, whether it be flavor or, or character or aroma or stuff that, um, is so incredibly complex and especially when the time taken in to produce these beers um, yeah, yep. that a majority of the consuming public can enjoy. There's, there is something in each of these beers that um, I could almost guarantee that, um, that people will find those nuances. People will okay. find those isolated pockets of I can taste this, but I get this, but I get this and it changes for every person. So um, that's all we're trying to do. We're just, we're simply trying to, to, we have a blank canvas to begin with, and then we we put it out there for a particular time and of part of the season with regards to ingredients and and the cool ship time, and then it um, obviously goes into the aging, and we go from there, and it's um, it's exciting and fun. Yeah, and we talked before about the fact that you've created your own category with these Australian spontaneous sales, but there is a little bit of a serious side to that. You know, there is no real place for these to fit in terms of the AIBA awards that come out, so you're trying to always seem to be. You know, fitting a, a round peg into a square hole that doesn't seem to really quite work. Um, is there stuff that we can do to sort of make it happen and maybe create a new category in those ALBAs and then maybe beers such as yours and, and Topher's can uh, sort of uh, no, compete on a, a level playing field perhaps? Uh, if it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm not, I don't fall asleep at night trying to create categories, Chris, or trying to get beers to slot, to slot into into holes that, no. that don't exist. I mean, in, the best analogy is at the moment we're trying to fit um, square pegs into round holes and it, um, no matter how hard we try to, to push it in, it's it's not going to be created. And it's the last thing we're trying to do is to give these spears boundaries that they have to conform to. It, oh, it's not why we set yeah. down the path and it's certainly yep. not something that, we're, that we have the too many abilities to control and things. They are what they are and as I said, we can manipulate and, and coerce and wrangle and um, <laughs> much like livestock, we can we can sort of tell them what to do. But at the end, at, at the end of the day, they sort of do and, do what they want and to do. go where they want. Yeah, and I mean, it's just great. You know, you're doing something a little bit different, which might add other people into the category or give people new experiences with beers that they thought maybe weren't available to them in the past. Oh, that's again, that's all we're trying to do. If it, if if this, uh, if if someone tries one of those beers, or a, or a wildflower beer, or a Bridge Road, or a Future Mountain, or whatever it might be, um, it's uh, it means that they're exploring their yep. their palate. And cool. uh, I mean, five years ago, ten years ago, that would have been something that was um, few and far between. So it means that the consumers' palates are, are starting to catch up, and we're just trying to put stuff out there that that yep. continually challenges them and. It's not for everyone and we're not trying no, no, to make it okay. for everyone, but yeah. what we started to do is nail this down to what we want to do and what we can do and, and what we see is the best fit for us and thankfully they've, they've turned out well at the moment. <laughs> and yes, they have, mate. And so you grow your own ingredients, malt your own grain, you harvest your own yeast, you use the local water, you've got local fruits and berries and ferment in the natural environment. You're doing bloody heaps of stuff up there, but you know what's what's next for Van Diemen? What are you going to get up to? Uh, if you ask anyone at the moment, I suppose we've got to look at some form of hospitality component yes. at the brewery otherwise. Absolutely. It doesn't make too much sense to be pr- producing everything and yep. growing everything and stuff, yet you can't come and enjoy it. So Such that's a probably setting. That's probably the next challenge for us is to is to see what what the best fit is at the brewery. And in a similar sort of sense, it's, it's trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole in, in what that looks like. So... <laughs> 
I know that there'll be a few brewery. Uh, you got to put a bar under that oak tree. That's so awesome, that place. Oh, well, yeah, that was that. that's what we're trying to do. Recreate that whole From the Wilderness uh, beer festival that we had up there that day. That was just an amazing experience. Well, that's, yeah, that's essentially the encapsulation of yeah. that feeling and relaxed nature that, that what we had that <laughs> so day. Good. But, um, yeah, putting that into a, a cellar door, a tap room, or, or whatever facility it looks like is um, a lot a lot easier said and cheaper said than done. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. So, where do you take these uh, wilderness projects and these estate ales to? Like, you know, you got more boundaries to push, you got more weird and wacky ideas. Where, where's what, it? Are you are you alluding to the fact that I need another couple of children in order to name beers after? <laughs> well, maybe you never know. Maybe that might be a good thing. You know, maybe knock out a couple more. You could have a cricket team, or I don't know. Then you got plenty of beers uh, to be named after them. <laughs> Well, I think it'll be news to Kaylee as well. Not anytime soon is the answer to that. <laughs> um, nah, I think I think we just we just continue to do this. We we continue. We get so much variation and so much change in in what we're doing at the moment. That's the learning that is going through my head at the moment. And the, I mean, even things like uh, when we're doing spontaneous beers, we're we're taking um, seventy two hour weather snapshots of, oh, really? of wind, humidity, uh, direction, fronts. That's pretty cool. Um, moisture or temperature, all of those sort of things so that we wow. can begin to understand um, how um, certain fronts carried across can can manipulate the, the uptake and um, fermentation characteristics of these um, beers. So added into the whole processing component of malting and hop field work and stuff, it's um, – yeah, I'm pretty sure I got enough on my plate at the moment without uh, getting bored trying to invent something else. Fair enough. Now, mate, really serious question for you. Now, you have three beers named after the three boys. You've given some of your beers names from the local landmarks, or you've used the names of the fruits in your beers. When is your wife Kaylee going to get her own beer? <laughs> no, no, it's hard enough naming beers after your children, let alone giving a beer name to your wife. I think that that'd be a pretty. Uh, I don't know how many brewers have actually done it, but I think it'd be pretty brave yeah, yep. to do that. Yeah, we got a. I think uh, it's a ten-year wedding anniversary coming up at some point, so yeah. that may provide impetus to to do <laughs> something there. But um, I mean, it want to be pretty bloody good. I mean, some might say that she secretly has one. You know, maybe Dave McGill has told me there's one already there named after her. Mate, if you believe anything that comes out of that folks' mouth, you're uh, not alone. <laughs> maybe the Duchess or maybe the Motormouth or something, perhaps? Uh, no, they're named after my parents. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't realise that. Oh, well, he was completely wrong. The, so Motormouth is named after Dad. Yep. And Duchess is named after Mum. Oh, okay. Oh, well, there you go. You've got yeah. to name one after her now. Yeah. Pick your mind up. No, I won't, you, won't, you know, you won't get me. <laughs> no. No, it has to be good. As I said, it has to be pretty good for that to happen. Fair enough. Now, mate, look, 10 years is a long time to be doing anything. Surely on those cold winter mornings in Everdale, you must think to yourself, why am I putting my body through all of this bloody hard slog? Uh, <laughs> when you've got uh, brewing to do, when you've got grain to turn, when you've got malt <laughs> um, in a kiln, um, there's not much time to sit around and get cool. So no, most of, that's, why, that's why most of the time I'm shorts and T-shirt in the middle of winter. I mean, it's snowed Fair today full. at the brewery and – um, admittedly, I was sitting in the office on the computer most of the day, but I'm still in shorts. Um, and I only just put a t-shirt, a jumper on to go outside. So 
there's enough to do to keep busy. Well, mate, uh, I might let you get to bed now. We've probably had enough of a chat. And I uh, just want to say thanks very much for jumping on again onto the podcast. I really appreciate your time. You know I bloody love what you're doing up there in Evandale, and I just wish more people out there would know what's going on and uh, really appreciate you know how amazing it is, the, the stuff that you're doing and the boundaries that you're pushing in creating those really amazing beers. And the most recent ones in the Wilderness Project are really awesome. So get out there and uh, get on the Van Diemen website and maybe order a couple and you can uh, try some really, really amazing beers. Chris, thank you very much for having me again, mate. Appreciate the uh, ability to spread the the, uh, the beer word and uh, to people listening, just continue to explore your palate. There'll be, there's something yep. out there. There's there's far more um, characters, flavors, aromas in beer yep. than than any other liquid out there. So continue to go forth and explore. It's exciting. It's fun. Do it. Absolutely, and I'm living proof that you can go from drinking normal beers to uh, really loving some of the wild and wonderful. Absolutely, and we're still we're still teaching you things. Yes, you are. Your vocabulary has gone through the roof in the last eighteen months. <laughs> thanks, mate. Well, mate, thanks again for joining me, and uh, have a great night. And uh, as always, cheers to great beers. Beautiful, Loki. Thanks for tuning in to another beer healer interview. I really hope you guys enjoyed the episode as much as I did. If you want to follow along with more Beer Healer content, you can check out my Facebook, YouTube and Instagram pages. Just search Beer Healer or you can visit beerhealer.com. If you like the podcast, can you please help me spread the word by subscribing and rating it and sharing it with your beer-loving friends.